0: Welcome to a conversation of change with Dr. Jen Fram, where we talk all things leadership, change, and transformation. And hello, everybody, it's Dr. Jen Fram here with the latest conversations of change. I thought uh, this is actually the first conversations of change for the 2020 and I thought what would be a really, really good topic to pick up on this year is the topic of business agility and the implications for leadership. Um, The hype and the buzzword bingo around business agility is not going away Um, and for that reason I thought there was nobody better than we could speak to than Evan Layburn, founder of the Business Agility Institute. Now, um, I've known Evan for a couple of years now, and when I first got introduced to the Business Agility, I was pretty at the Business Agility Institute. I was pretty blown away in terms of the content and the value and the integrity of the research that's on it and it has been a mainstay in all of my client engagements since. So I'm really delighted uh, to introduce you to Evan. Evan, welcome to Conversations for Change.
1: Thank you, Jen. It's absolute pleasure to be here and, and uh, I always enjoy our conversations, whether they're recorded or not, so this is going to be fun. And I'm going to say that the, the respect is mutual. Uh, I've always loved the work that you do. Uh, your book, Conversations of Change, is is a like you say it's, it's it's a mainstay. It's a go to. Um, I shared it uh, with a good friend recently who was working with a uh, a government department, um, and she was having those same challenges. So uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. I wanna Fantastic! See it goes.
0: Thank you so much. Um, Evan, you've got a really, you know, you've got an interesting backstory for the benefits of the listeners. Could you share how you came to be the founder of the Business Agility Institute?
1: Um, So business agility is something I've been doing for a little over 10 years now. And it really, it really started almost by accident. Um, I, there's a concept called the PETA principle. Mm-hmm. which is where you get promoted to your level of incompetence. And I sort of reached that point. I, I'd run a startup, I'd moved into the public service, and in the public service I became a director. Um, and I was suddenly in charge of a $35 million, $35 million budget, a section, and the skill sets required from running a team, from running a project, whether they're agile or not, and, and it was agile at the time, um, versus running a business or running a division are completely different. And I was not very good at that. Um, luckily, I have enough introspection to know what I'm good at. So when I realized that wasn't the case, I started to look at why. And I realized that this thing, coordination, getting people to cooperate, getting like, outcomes achieved these were the same challenges that I'd had as a developer, as a as as a as a project manager. The same challenges I'd solved using Agile, and at the time I had this idea that maybe Agile will help me as a better manager, and it did. Um, and then over the years, I, I think at at the beginning it was like Agile business, which I will say was a mistake. It, it was better than what I was doing, but. A couple of years on, I learned more and what was agile business sort of became business agility. And and I then spent the next sort of 10 years working with organizations around the world as a consultant, as, as, as a trainer on everything from sort of HR to finance strategy to, to how organizations are designed and structured. And that led me to the Institute, which in 2017 I ran the first Business Agility Conference. This actually predates. So uh, people think the conference and the Institute's one of the same, but the conference actually came first because... Uh,
0: okay, yeah, right.
1: Uh, what happened was I, I I was getting very frustrated with the... And I know a lot of your listeners are agileists and Agile coaches and so forth, and they may not like what I'm about to say, but... The Agile community is very insular, it's inward-looking. There's a bit of an echo chamber. So I would go to these Agile conferences and I'd talk about business agility and they'd go, yes, this is fantastic, but they would do nothing about it. They either have no ability to do anything or no interest. So I realized I was talking to the wrong people or or I was talking to this echo chamber and it just bounced around inside. So a friend of mine, a Canadian coach, uh, we were sitting in India, because this is a global world, it's, it's a global. And we are seeing India, and she was talking, uh, uh, and we were having this conversation about how frustrating these conferences were, and she challenged me to, to start a business agility conference, which I did. And I can be arrogant. And mm-hmm. at the time, very arrogantly, I assumed that I would know 80% of the attendees. I was like, Evan, I've got my finger on the pulse of business agility around the world. And if you can probably guess from the sarcastic tone, um, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in the end, I knew maybe 20%, maybe 30. And w- what I realized was that there was this massive community out there that needed a, a a place to call home. They were coming out of the agile community. They were coming out of the business communities and the HR communities and the change management communities. Um, but none of them sort of belonged to those communities directly. They all sort of pushed outwards. So when we realized that, this, uh, this, this sort of meta community was there and that it had no home, um, we sort of made the decision that, yeah, let's create a home for it. And that's, oh. where, the was that's where the Institute was born.
0: Fantastic. Um, I think one of the, the strengths and also potentially one of the weaknesses of the website with the um, Business Agility Institute is the volume of content that it has on it. So I'm kind of curious <clears throat> what's your advice to someone you know a leader who is just getting into the space of business agility they've had the call from from their organization that they have to be more agile um, and they've googled and and they've found you um, How should they go forward what's the what's the path of bringing themselves up to speed
1: oh that's a that's a powerful question and uh, I'm gonna answer a slightly different question to begin with because I think if you're just getting started coming to our website's probably the wrong place to start mm-hmm. the right place to start is a little bit inwards uh, and look at why you want to be an agile organization um, and if you're becoming agile because like keeping up with the Joneses or ke- keeping up with Jones incorporated because we <laughs> yeah. um, or are you trying to survive because your competitors are out competing you, they're, they're releasing products faster, uh, they're, they're serving their customers better? Or do you have issues with in, engagement, like employee engagement? Do you have attrition problems? Uh, or are you going perfectly fine and you just want to look at ways that you can be better in the future versus change who you are today? There's a thousand different reasons to start this journey. Some are better reasons than others. Um, I I honestly say keeping up with Jones Incorporated is probably not a good reason, um, but it's a reason nonetheless. But once you know why you are starting this journey, that is definitely the first step. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, What we published, uh, one of the first research publications that we came out with was what we called the domains of business agility. Mm. Uh, This is a, I call it the don't forget model because it's not a framework. I won't tell you how to do business agility. There is no framework for business agility. It's impossible. Um, But this is a model that will explain what it is that you need to look at, what you need to focus on, those areas you can't forget. Because for those of you, for for the listeners who are running transformations right now, I guarantee they've forgotten something. They're probably transforming processes, everyone transforms processes that's the easy part maybe you're doing some restructure some structural agility but are you changing how you measure people okrs of kpis are you changing how you uh, uh how leaders how managers operate how do they delegate are you changing uh mindsets of people are you inculcating a growth mindset uh, are you giving people a sense of 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 ownership and accountability in their work have you changed the board of directors have you changed your, your contracts with your suppliers and your distributors and your vendors? And if the answer is no to some of these, then you've forgotten something. This is an area that will constrain your agility.
0: Mm. So
1: just, check out I, the domains.
0: Yeah, if I can just interrupt on that one. I think um, that's been one of the, the really the, the strongest insights I've got from listening to you speak at other events is the notion that you're only as agile as your slowest or non-agile division. And I know a lot of the the work that Lena and I have gotten out of the Agile Change Leadership Institute has been how to translate agile into domains or to parts of the business that are not tech, you know, how to translate tech speak, Um, so marketing and HR and stuff like that. Do you get a sense that we are currently weighting our activity in one particular area over another? Um, is there a standout area that if we shifted our lens to, we'd be getting better results?
1: Ooh, okay, so there's a couple of things to unpack in, in what you just asked me. So, so I'm going to give you two answers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first is the statement about you're only as agile as your least agile division. Um, for your listeners, uh, this might be a little bit familiar because it's, it's with apologies to Eli Goldratt, is drawn out of the theory of constraints. The um, theory of constraints comes out of uh, manufacturing, lean manufacturing. You have a production line. That production line is building cars. Yep. Right? You have a bunch of bits at one end and a car at the other. Right? And you can only build cars as fast as the slowest pass on that production line. And if that's installing the engine, it doesn't matter how much you transform the, the, the door team. Right? Your cars are only going to roll off as fast as the engine team. So you focus on the engine team. You get them better. But theory of constraints has a a, a, a corollary. I have a stutter. I can't say that word. Um, (laughs) Corollary. Um,
0: I was going to say I don't and I'd still struggle with that word.
1: (laughs) um, uh, Which is there is always a constraint. So you transform the engine team and now the door team might be the constraint. It's not a bad thing. It just is. There is always a constraint. So... Uh, with apologies to Eli Goldratt, uh, Evan's theory of Agile constraints, there's always, you're only as Agile as your least Agile division. Now, let's take Agile, capital A, Scrum, Kanban, Safe, all those wonderful, wonderful things that work so well in technology. The problem with Agile is that we do it in technology. So 30 years ago, software teams were the constraint to agility in our organization. It would take us years to bring a product to market, a technology product um, to market. And with the growing digitalization of the world, that was important. The faster we could bring those digital technology products to market, the faster we could, uh, well, thrive, sell. Now, I remember being a developer back then and we every two weeks, we were using Scrum. This is maybe back 2003. Now, we were using Scrum, but where was our, where was our work going? Our work was then going into staging, right? into a. It couldn't go to production because we needed a release window. So, we, as a community, invent DevOps, right? continuous integration, all those sort of wonderful technology things. What does that let us do? That let us now deploy every second if we wanted to. I think Amazon's statistic is they deploy a change to production every eleven point seven seconds or something. Now there's always a constraint. So if back then the constraint was operations and we've solved the operations constraint, where's the constraint today? And this is a sort of part two of your, of, your, of your question. And that is, um, in our experience, those organizations that are running these agile transformations are investing in the transformation in the wrong place because it doesn't matter if you can de- like create change every two weeks using Scrum or whatever else. It doesn't matter if you can deploy every 11 seconds because we have an eighteen-month budget process, we have a three-month recruitment process. We have audit, um, governance, compliance gates every two months to check how is progress going. And every single one of these is the con- one of these, I should say, is the constraint to the system. It's no longer technology. So all those agile coaches that are out there are transforming and supporting the wrong part of the business. It's, it's what is downstream or upstream from the work that we are doing, what is supporting it, that needs to be agile. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the research that we've done, I, I said finance, HR, governance, right? Uh, PMO, governance, compliance, depends on the organisation. Um, now, uh, that's generic. Let me be specific. The research that we have done in the Institute says that the number one predictor of transformation success is transforming finance, specifically funding models. How do you fund work? And organizations that transform towards adaptive funding, continuous funding, rolling budgets, whatever you want to use, however you want to call it, are an order of magnitude more successful than those that either don't or haven't done it yet.
0: That is really interesting, and and for me, it's it then raises you know that ecosystem of well, if you if you're changing the funding, then you do need to change your board, or you need to change your shareholders, <laughs> like um, because
1: well, one of the interesting things is there's organisations out there that are literally doing that.
0: I, I was just um, going to say, are, are there people that we can look at that are best practice in this regard?
1: Um, not many, uh, and I'll be honest. So one of the domains that we have uh, is called the board. Mm -hmm. Um, It is our weakest domain in terms of the material that we have, Mm -hmm. but only because so few companies are doing this. There are a few and they tend to be on the smaller side, to be fair. Um, But we're seeing organizations out there where... Actually, let me take a step back. There there are two big challenges with the board. Number one is they are the furthest from the customer. Mm -hmm. And number two, you get what you measure. And so if the board only cares about its financial measures... Uh, if that's what they see as their fiduciary responsibility, then that's the only behavior that the organization is going, to, is going to have. So what we're seeing is, in the first case, we're seeing organizations send board members down to help desks, right, down to customer service for a day. So all new board members have to go sit on the help desk for a day, listen to the problems of the customers, understand what the marketplace truly looks like, Right? So they get that empathy for, for I suppose, the people you're in business for. Mm-hmm. And in the second case, the measures, we're seeing organizations start to actually care about non-financial metrics. And I'll be honest, every organization has a customer satisfaction score, yep. right? But who gets fired if they don't meet that customer satisfaction score, right? Mm-hmm. No one. <laughs> who gets fired if they don't make their financial numbers? Well, half the sales team, probably, right? So, so. The numbers that matter, right? The board is very clear. You may give us customer satisfaction, but that's not the one that matters. So what we're seeing now is organisations actually start to put the same due diligence around um, uh, non-financial metrics, uh, whether it's about customer satisfaction, whether it's about employee engagement, uh, whether it's around um, uh, some of the like the uh, third industries so, um, industry formula. Industry 4.0 elements, innovation, there's a whole bunch of different metrics that organisations are starting to bring in and which ones depend on the organisation. But we are seeing it happen, not fast enough for my liking, but it is starting to happen around the world.
0: Um, For the listeners' benefit, I'll link in the, the the notes after this. There's been two previous podcasts which you can go back and listen to which will give you examples of this. So the uh, interview with Donna Hardman on the role of the board member in Transformation, she talks about her experiences on buddy jacking in call centres um, and how she introduces that to you or makes, you know, that's her firm belief that all board members should be doing it. And then you'll also be interested in the interview with Adam Solzer of the Australian Turnaround and Transformation Association on the research they did on transformational boards and what they measure. So we can we can further extend what Evan's just said then with um, some of the previous episodes. Um, Evan, I want to bring well, up... One thing. Yep.
1: So Go for it. Can I just add very quickly? Um, uh, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, uh, we have our global conference in New York uh, that's in march 11 and 12 so for some people that's in the future in which case come along and for some people that's in the past in which case check our website one of our speakers is sandra davey who is the chairperson of choice here in australia she's coming over to new york to share um, her story about building uh, sort of an agile board
0: fantastic that sounds great um now, can I just revisit? There were two things that came up in what you were talking about before, and again, kudos on the explanation of theory of constraints. I've I've often said your greatest gift is the ability to explain complex things very simply, um, and uh, I know I've I've had several people talk to me about theory of constraints, but it's been a lot more complex than what you just said. Um, so, well done. Um, but picking up on what you said before, the so. In the last four months, five months, um, so, again, Lena Ross and I in the Agile Change Leadership Institute have been hosting breakfasts with executives with Momentum Search and Selection. And they're basically a dialogue-based breakfast with people from different organisations, all in executive, all C-suite, and it's always on the topic of the challenges of of change and transformation. Um, And obviously that's within an Agile context. What's been really interesting is that there are two clear over the... We've had 45 people through the breakfasts. There are two clear topics that come up time and time again. And one is the struggle with governance. Mm -hmm. And the other is the struggle with business adoption. And when we talk about business adoption, we're talking about... Um, How do I get my senior peers on board with this, my other execs with this working in an agile space? Um, But it also touches on what I call the inconvenient truth of agile, which is you still need change management Mm -hmm. because, and you described it so beautifully before, in terms of you can be releasing on a daily perspective But if those people catching those changes are call centre people or operations outside of technology and you haven't had sufficient management of those changes, facilitation of those changes, whatever language we want to use around that, they're in a hell of a lot of pain um, in the organisation and nowhere that I've seen within Big A Agile addresses, the you know, a Agile privileges the customer, doesn't privilege the employee. So at the risk of leading the witness, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of curious on, let's just start with your views on the role of change management in Agile agility. <laughs>
1: uh, so we've had this conversation before, so you do know what I'm going to say. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, the role change management, the skill, is becoming more and more important. Um, uh, change manager, the role. Uh, some questions about where um, whether that role or, or what the future of that role is going to look like, because I think it's going to change um, more broadly
0: it Vers- has. as a
1: skill. It yeah. is a skill that more and more people need to have. Um, as change becomes the de facto state, then the ability to communicate that change becomes necessary. But that communication, that, that, that change, the change management becomes a continuous activity. Gone are the, the, the communications plans. And, and I used to be a project manager, so I've, I've done all those big comms plans and everything else. That When we finish the project, we're going to start rolling out and communicating the changes. That cha- that's gone. Change management, ironically, has changed, um, but it is now continuous. Right? It is, We're releasing change continuously. We need to have systems and mechanisms to make that clear to people, to help people support them through mm-hmm. a continuous rolling improvement to whether it's a system, whether it's a process, whether it's a culture. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter what is changing. It is changing now continuously. Change manage. M- change manager on the other hand is a little bit different mm-hmm. because changes now no, because many changes are continuous not all uh, then that specific function of someone who is going to sit in a project and write those plans that is no longer necessary mm-hmm. so a change manager is become someone who now, who now handles communications across the organization it's more ad hoc it's a lot more responsive um and so the role will have to change, and the role may be subsumed into other roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so project managers or 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 comm specialists uh, or scrum masters mm-hmm. uh, or product owners need to take on change management responsibilities, maybe instead of having a dedicated change manager. That's not to say that change managers will go away. there will always be that that necessity. there are Even if change is continuous, there are still large-scale changes that do occur quite broadly and across quite a lot of industries and quite a lot of projects. Mm. Um, But even there, how they do it needs to be a lot more responsive, needs to be a lot more organic and continuous. Yep. Right. so even in traditional spaces the role of a change manager will continue to change mm. i've used the word change way too many times, <laughs> many
0: times. Well, at least you avoided transformation <laughs> um well, no, yeah. to
1: fair, i hate the word transformation yep. I try and use the word journey as, as much as possible Could you um,
0: transmogrify <laughs>
1: But but a transformation is like a, it's a, a, a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. Yeah. It's state A to state B. It assumes that there are known states. Yeah. The problem with most transformations mm-hmm. is that there is no state B. It is this amorphous future that is better than today. And so rather than think of it as a butterfly, let's start thinking of it as a journey and let's see what side streets we go down yeah. all, along the way
0: so picking up on the other pain point which is the notion of governance mm-hmm. um what's and I, I, I seem to recall you did have an article on your linkedin profile which again had a delightful simplification around the world of governance uh, can you share your thoughts on governance in business agility
1: absolutely so um i'm i'm a fan of governance i think governance is very important and and I, I like it. Uh, my first book was actually almost called Agile Corporate Governance. And and uh, <laughs> my I'm bad at names, to be fair. Um, my publisher was very clear. It's like, we love the book, hate the title, please change the name. So we did. Um, but,
0: on, but what did you change it to?
1: Oh, uh, Directing the Agile Organization. Okay, beautiful. Much better. Uh, to be fair, I didn't come up with a name. I went to social media and it's like, hey, what should I call my book? And that was the best one that someone came up with. And it's like, I'm stealing that. Thank you very much. Um, now, uh, so governance saying that I'm a fan of governance, there is another side to governance that people often forget, and that is risk, mm. right? So governance and risk go hand in hand. And the problem is most organizations don't understand risk, um, or they don't understand how much risk they're willing to accept, uh, their risk appetite is, 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 the formal term. So if you don't know what your risk appetite is, if you don't know how much risk is enough, right? or too much perhaps is a better way of saying it, then you are going to overgovern, And so what happens is, very simplistically, I describe two different kinds of governance. Approval-based governance and audit-based governance. Approval-based governance is stop until I tell you to continue. Audit-based governance is continue until I tell you to stop. Now, if, a piece of work, a process is within a certain is within your risk appetite, then you do not want approval based governance. You just want them to continue because the likelihood and the consequence of that risk is acceptable. And of course, acceptable differs in different organizations. If I'm, if I'm a hospital, right, death is an acceptable risk. It is literally a risk doctors take every day. Right? If I'm a software company, death is not an acceptable risk and not one I'm willing to take. So it will differ according to context, but at certain points, if it's something that I'm willing to accept, then keep going. Now, I'm not stupid. I am going to check and I'm going to find fraud. I'm going to find mistakes. And if it's fraud, then we will recover whatever has been lost as best we can and Mm -hmm. you're fired and possibly even charged. If it's a mistake, okay thank you. Please don't do it again. Recognize you're doing your, your best. All right. All right. Do you know what you did wrong? Great. Are we going to do it again? No. Let's not add more process. Let's not add more bureaucracy because one person made a mistake. The worst thing that you can do is say, we're going to make sure this never happens again. Right. That just leads to additional bureaucracy and additional governance that is unnecessary 99% of the time. Mm. So every, every stop adds delay, adds bureaucracy, adds a level of pain to the employees and to the customers because you're, go- you're not delivering what you've promised. And your competitors, who aren't as governed as you are, are, they're moving faster. Their products are getting out sooner. They're satisfying and delighting their customers sooner than you, right? And that doesn't end well for your organization. So audit-based governance is what we want in most situations. However, there are exceptions, and those exceptions are when the risk is too great. Right? And that, yes, please stop. Here is a gate. You cannot proceed until we have checked that certain things are in place. Right? And then you can proceed. My recommendation to most organizations is to default to audit-based governance. Right? But unfortunately, most organizations default to approval-based governance, because it, to be honest, is easier. It's easier to have a, a steering committee check things than it is to actually um, uh, put in place the effort to, to check a moving target than it is to check for something that's stopped and is, is showing you its papers.
0: Excellent. I think that is a very, very good steer. <laughs> um, I'm curious, after all the experience you've had with Agile Transformations, what surprises you about the work?
1: <laughs> uh, it surprises me how hard it continues to be. Uh, it's it's the number of transformational failures and the challenges that organisations go through. Right? We've been doing this for 20 years more in many cases, and the the idea that we're still struggling with the same problems and to be honest, it's because we're not struggling with agile. We're struggling with people and people will always be people. And I suppose, to be honest, it probably surprises me that that still surprises me. It surprises me that companies still forget that they're dealing with people and not just process. Mm. Um, And I wish it were easier sometimes. I wish we could weigh the magic wand and have people have that growth mindset, have that culture. Right. But, we don't want that. That's, that's actually, uh, even that wish I think is, is, is disingenuous uh, for what we're trying to do because people shouldn't be imposed. We shouldn't impose agile on people. We shouldn't say thou shalt thou must. Yeah. What we should be doing is saying, here's an interesting way of working. That might be a little bit more better. It might help you, might give you more empowerment. Do you want it? In which case here's everything you need to make it happen. Um, so yeah, that's what surprises me.
0: I think that's that's kind of the part two of my inconvenient truth of change management is that what we spoke of before was your big A agile. This is the small A agile. It is a major, major chalk and cheese transformation, and where where it struggles is how do you bring people on the journey? For the exact reason that you're talking about, we don't want to impose. I think we've you know any any good change practitioner worth their salt has recognised some time ago that top down change, you know, is is folly. Um, we've long moved towards co creation as as part of our process and those kind of things. But when I see agile transformations being designed, there is often scant regard to the change management of that, whether it be contemporary change management or any at all. So um,
1: so let me tell you, so you actually just said something that triggered a thought and, mm. and you mentioned top-down and that top-down doesn't work, yep. I completely agree with. I'm not, gonna, I'm not arguing that.
0: Well, unless you're about to go broke in five days. <laughs> it's
1: true. Okay, sorry. Let's be fair. There, there are t- no, it still doesn't work. Yep. It, mi- it might help things in the short term.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: it might get things moving and you might be able to steer the ship away from the iceberg, uh, but the ship's still not going to be steering particularly well. Uh, it, it's, and and you need a lot more than just top-down to, to miss all the icebergs that are ahead. Right? So, so it's still only a very short-term a, approach. But one of the things that um, I gave a conference presentation a couple of months ago, and in it, I, I got this big glass vase, right? And it was full of water, um, and I just took it on the front of the stage, and then I ignored it. Right? Oh, sorry. Uh, I should explain. Uh, it was a big glass vase, and there was about five tea bags just sitting in it. And I ignored it for the entire talk. Right? And I gave this talk about business agility. It's about the domains. Here are the thirteen domains. This is what business agility means. Dot 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 dot. Any questions? One person. First question: What's the vase for? It's like aha. I'm really glad you asked that question. What color is it? So it's like, it's, it's brown, it, it, it's, it's tea. It's like, what color was it at the beginning? It's like, it was water. When did the water become tea? Of course, you can't answer that question because there is no point. Uh, it, it, it's, there's a point when it's definitely water and there's a point when it's definitely tea. But the transition point, there isn't one. Uh, it, it, it is, it is a, it, it's a spectrum. It's less tea to more tea and i use the same metaphor for change for transformation or journeys right so you want an agile culture right then you don't put tea bags at the top and expect the tea for everything to become tea you don't put it at the bottom and expect so bottom up and expect everything to become tea you put a couple of tea bags in the middle stir it around a bit of heat right um, and that's the thing actually a bit of heat a uh, bit of motion uh, that's how you get people to change and and at some point enough tea bags enough tea leaves enough change agents whatever you want to call them mm. and your organizational culture at one point it is culture a at another point it is culture b and in between is just a spectrum of different cultures different elements all mixing together and i find tea is a much much better metaphor than um top down or bottom up because both are, are, it's a false dichotomy, basically.
0: Mm. I love it. I love it. I need a cup of tea now. <laughs> like, you primed me for that.
1: True. Um, I, think I probably couldn't do that in America because they don't understand what tea no, is.
0: No, no, they don't. Oh, that wouldn't work at all. Oh, we'll have to come up with something else. Um, you up for a bit of word association? Oh, let's do it. Okay. So I'm going to hit you with uh, five words, five qualities that I argue agile change leaders require. So I'd love your view on them. The first one is curiosity.
1: Ooh, necessary, mandatory. Um, if uh, curiosity, and so there, there, there's a uh, there's a saying, curiosity killed the cat. Uh, but I was recently reading a link, uh, like a Facebook post. I have no idea if this is true. Facebook being a well- A monitor of truth. and disinformation. Um, but what I was reading is like the, the full quote um, is, Curiously killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. And if that is truly the actual quote, then I really like the quote because that is really what I believe, that it's, it's what it is that you're... Um, Whatever it is that you're doing in your life, you must have a sense of curiosity. How does this work? What happens if I pull it apart? And, if, you're, and if, if there's a level of change in your organization, it only improves if someone is willing to unscrew the back and figure out how all the bolts, how it all fits together, and then try and put it back together. They might break it along the way, but you know what? You're going to build something different. And that is going to be interesting in its own right. So curiosity is absolutely necessary for any change.
0: Beautiful. Okay. Second word: vulnerability.
1: Oh, um, I, I can't say necessary as well, can I? <laughs> um, let, let me say leadership. Um, I think we've long since moved past the point where uh, this this uh, false masculine leadership sort of culture ideal, uh, I think that I think we've passed those days, uh, and so when I think of a leader, I think of people who express their vulnerability, who express the challenges and their concerns, who are who bring their whole self to work uh, rather than hide behind this facade of perfection that is like that stereotypical 1980s manager.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, third word slash quality is empathy.
1: Oh, success. Um, And that might be an odd association, but uh, a while ago I sort of built out a, a, what I defined as the three characteristics of success. And it was empathy, hence the word, confidence and competence. And you need all three to be successful. Uh, If you have confidence and competence without empathy, you're arrogant. Right? Uh, if you have empathy and 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 confidence without competence, then you're a fraud. Right? So if you don't have all three working in conjunction, well, you can't be successful.
0: Excellent. Okay. Fourth word slash quality is courage. Courage. Hmm.
1: Hmm. Tough one. Because um, I've already I've already used mandatory. <laughs> Because <laughs> I keep on saying this, um, courage. Uh, let me say, everyone, right? and everyone needs courage. And partly, it, it is on it is the responsibility of leadership in an organization, management in an organization, to to make an environment where courage is accepted. Right? Make an environment where it is. I don't want to say safe to fail, but maybe safe to try. Right? And But the flip side of that is people have to have courage to try. Right? You can't just make it safe to fail because, um, or, or you can't just have this open, engaging environment. Um, you can't have um, uh, accountability without ownership. Right? You need both sides of the equation. Right? So courage is the other side of the equation to, well, safe to fail, safe to try.
0: Okay. And last one is self-compassion. Oh, uh,
1: rare. Um, I'd also say leadership as well, but I've already said that, but I'll say it again. Um, I think it's something that is necessary in many, uh, to, be, to, be, to bring your whole self to work. Uh, you need to have a level of self-compassion if if you don't respect yourself if you don't believe in yourself then no one else will so think of it as i mentioned that triangle confidence competence and empathy self-compassion lines very closely to that confidence angle Mm -hmm. and i see uh, we do a lot of research in hr topics and one of the ones we recently did was on recruitment and we published a paper on hiring for culture, specifically hiring for culture ad versus hiring for culture fit. But one of the subtexts and one of the elements that we looked into was around how people um, uh, how people portray themselves, how they see themselves in interviews and even in their resume, mm-hmm. right? The amount of self compassion that they show, right? And I don't mean arrogance, right? and because uh, they. You need to have empathy as well. Now you have to have compassion for others, not just for yourself. Right? But the those people who expressed self-compassion, who expressed respect for themselves, were the ones who in most cases were successful and the people who who hid that part of themselves mm-hmm. were not. Um, and this is often why we have the gender imbalance yep. uh, because stereotypically we have a lot of challenges with with. Uh, People from minority backgrounds uh, or or women who don't portray their strengths, who don't have that level of self-compassion to say, I am an amazing person, right? Mm -hmm. and everyone should know I'm an amazing person. They're not brought up that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like, save us from middle-aged, confident white men. That's what I say, speaking as a middle-aged, confident white man.
0: It made me think when you, and, and thank you, thank you for those, um, you know, the word association and your thoughts on them, but it did make me think and at the risk of, of putting you on the therapist chair, you, you started off the interview talking about your arrogance and I'm kind of curious how, what's that interplay between your self-compassion and your arrogance? What does that look like when you show up with a client?
1: Oh, I never have been asked that question before. No, no, no. no but it, it's fair. It's fair. So, so I, I, I had to be very careful to to take myself out of the equation when I'm not needed. So, so for example, um, if I'm in a conversation, um, I have a bunch of mnemonics that run through my head that that. Uh, teach me how to be a good human being. That sounds really bad now that I say it out loud. Um, But one of them is wait, W-A-I-T. Why am I talking? And if I'm in a conversation, I I always say, wait, wait, wait. And I always try and answer myself. If I'm saying something that is constructive, meaningful, then I'm going to say something. But if I'm not, then if I just want to hear the sound of my voice, then I'm gonna shut up because that weight tells me nope I have the only reason I would talk now is to have my voice heard um, and this was something that I learned uh, to help uh, come as my whole self right but without sort of, sort of being that uh, in, in, without imposing myself on on a client or 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 others in the conversation or whatever the context happens to be. Yeah.
0: I don't think that sounds bad at all. I think that sounds incredibly generous to our listeners that you've been prepared to share that. Thank you.
1: <laughs> of course. Thank you.
0: So um, this has been a wonderful chat and, um, you know, you're incredibly generous to the community. What can the community give back to you? What do you want our listeners to know, do, say, go to?
1: So, first of all, um, uh, we are a community organization. We are a research organization. So, our survival is based on you using our material. Right. So, go to the library. We have hundreds of case studies. We have uh, we, we publish a new research paper about once a month, uh, and these are deeply researched in conjunction with academic institutions. Um, and we try and articulate those wicked problems. So if you have challenges in your journey, in your transformation, nothing that relates to agile, everything that relates to the business side of this, then come to us. Let us uh, learn from what we've brought together, the experts who have contributed their wisdom, um, their stories to our library. If you would like to go further, uh, we are volunteer-run. Uh, So we're always needing volunteers, people who can contribute to research, people who can run local communities, chapters, or meetups in your local city, or join one of the ones if we have one. We have 33 meetups around the world at the moment. And lastly, come and join one of our conferences. Um, If you you hear this before March, come and join us in New York. Uh, We have our flagship Business Agility Conference. In May, we have the conference in Vienna. Um, This year we'll have events in South Africa, Nigeria, uh, Hong Kong, uh, Brazil. So all over the world uh, we have communities and events and we are here for you. So I suppose my offer and my ask is one and the same and that is we we are your data source for all this information so please come and use us.
0: That's wonderful. Evan Leyburn, thank you so much for joining us on this Conversations of Change.
1: Thank you, Jen. Loved it.
0: You've been listening to a Conversation of Change with Dr. Jen Fram. You can find many more resources on leading change at my website, drjenfram.com. I welcome feedback on what else you'd like to hear on the podcast. Why not connect with me on Twitter at Jen Fram or LinkedIn?